You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Another episode of the NRL Supercoach All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another week in the preseason team previews podcasts. Got some big ones this week. We've got the Penrith Panthers and also the St George Illawarra Dragons. This week we have another debutant on the All Stars podcast. You might know him. He's been in the podcast well before. So Tom Powell, who everyone I'm sure knows from the Full Eighty NRL podcast. Uh, has been on hiatus for a couple of years, semi-retired, I guess, but he's come back into the podcast world. And glad to have you on the All-Stars podcast, Tommy. Barzi, thank you, mate. I've, uh, yeah, dusted off the, the golf shoes and decided to put them away for a little bit. And, um, yeah, figured it was about time to have a chat about Supercoach. I understand, Tom, that you've got a new Supercoach love that's going to make its way into a show pretty soon this season as well that you're doing with one other Supercoach nut that I know. Why don't you tell us about your uh, your Supercoach Rivals project that you've got coming up this season? Yeah, cheers, mate. Um, Dan from the Full 80 and myself uh, have decided we're going to move away from the podcast market, but we still wanted to, like, we were, for, for a couple of years, we were very, very quiet um, in that regard, and we kind of missed it, and we were having a lot of late-night conversations about what we could do to bring, bring something new to the table, so we came up with Supercoach Rivals which is going to be uh, myself and Dan live streaming on Twitch throughout the games with uh, all the Supercoach stats up and the uh, just just basically giving our own little bits of info throughout the game. So, you know, if you can follow along, like we're not going to commentate the games. We can't live stream the games, obviously, but we can live stream the stats, which is what a lot of people just watch the games for these days. So it'll be interesting, especially with our ugly heads on the uh, on the computer screen, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> It's always a bit tough when you're ahead for radio, but um, you know you can you can see how it goes. It sounds like it's got good content, though. I think it's um, a lot of people are going to be interested in that on Twitch. A few of the old boys like me are going to have to learn how to use it, but I'm sure all the kids will love it. <laughs> but I'm exactly the same. So Dan Dan actually streams uh, Fortnite and a few other games on Twitch, and I've always given him a bit of shtick about it, just purely for the fact that it is a young kids platform, but. Uh, from a, from a super coach and from an NRL perspective, we couldn't find anything NRL related on Twitch at all. So we looked at it as a market that we could potentially tap into. And as I said, hopefully, it, hopefully it's popular, but you know, if not, it's a bit of a passion project anyway. So it should be good fun. Oh, that sounds good, mate. Well, everyone have a look at super coach rivals, uh, during the season. Keep your eye out for it, uh, especially if you're on Twitch and you, and you, um, like to keep up with the stats and stuff. Those boys will do yeah, a great we, job. We are on Facebook and Twitter as well. Oh, there you go. <laughs> On everything, just going to dominate. <laughs> so before we get into the Penrith Panthers team preview that we're going to start off with, uh, obviously we had some exciting news last week with the partnership with Top Sport that the All-Stars podcast is doing for the 2021 season. If you're not sure who Top Sport is, they're one of Australia's premier boutique bookmakers. They've got some of the best odds that you'll see for sports and racing, but the good thing is that they're 100% Australian owned and operated. Consistently great value, but the main thing that I'm excited about for Top Sport for this season and the reason that we've decided to partner with them is that they are going to be offering for the first time for them NRL Supercoach markets. So whether you want to bet on the overs or unders, on a, on a player week-to-week on how they're going to perform, uh, or even just a season long on who the top point scorer is going to be, etc., plus a whole heap of other markets, Top Sport's going to have you covered. 
So get on the Top Sport. They're really great. And they've also got a promo code that you can use as one of our listeners and they'll take care of you. The promo code is SC All Stars. So all just one word. Had a few people ask me about it. Just SC All Stars, all one word as your promo code just to make sure they know you're one of our listeners that's coming over to check them out. Uh, the markets for Supercoach aren't up yet, but they will be closer to the season and closer to TLT. But on that note, Tom, let's go over to the Penrith Panthers, have a bit of a talk about their gains and losses first. So for me, you know, their gains, Matt Eisenhuth has come over from the Tigers. I've always thought he's pretty underrated, actually, especially as a bench player. Robert Jennings from the Tigers. Paul Momorowski from the Melbourne Storm, who was on loan there from the Tigers and then comes to the Panthers. Jamin Salmon from the Parramatta Eels and Scott Sorensen from the Sharks. All those guys could find themselves in first grade at some point this year, if not from round one. Losses, uh, Aikens, who was a, a pretty good fill-in fullback but wasn't going to get a, a full-time role. Kate Ellis, Jack Hetherington, uh, and then other than that, the immortal Josh Mansour, who was the Penny Panthers' favourite, who's a big loss. Uh, James Tamau, the captain, and Zane Tedavano. And other than that, the old warhorse Dean Farre over to the Catalans Dragons and a few other junior guys that haven't had a run yet. So... Overall, for me, Tommy, I think that the um, the Panthers have probably ended up pretty even. Um, Josh Mansell's a big loss, but they've probably got enough there to cover it. And someone like Momorowski is pretty underrated. I think Eisenhuth is as well. So I think I expect them to be about as good as far as their, their cattle on the paddock anyway. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that um, you know this episode particularly is going to be a, a pretty good dichotomy between the, the two teams that are going to finish first and, in my opinion, last as well. Um, you know, the, the Panthers have made some really good pickups and they're cutting guys like Mansoor and stuff like that. It's not going to be a huge deal for them. And especially not super coach wise, when you've got Staines and Toto as the, the replacements there, you know, like the, the, the site Eisenhuth, he's a good pickup. I wouldn't, wouldn't be looking him from a super coach perspective, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a bunch of guys in this Panthers side fighting for points. And I think it's going to be, yeah, at least someone's going to have to lose out. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. I, I'm actually also going to say that even though I think on paper their team, uh, personnel-wise, like I think they're just as good as what they were pretty much. Um, I think that they... I don't think they're going to be as successful as what they were in 2020. Um, I still think that they're going to be a top-four team, and that's what I'd put for them, top-four. Uh, I don't know whether they're going to be a top-of-the-table team or, or a grand final team. They might be, but I don't think it's... Uh, as certain as what last year's success was. Last, last year was a bit of an anomaly for, for rugby league in general, and I, I know that you know uh, there's been plenty of people harping on about the fact that the, the Panthers really got gifted that post-COVID break draw. Mm. Um, yep. You know, they, they, they had a really good run towards the end there and unfortunately got found out at the last minute, but that's that sort of experience. Guys like Cleary and the, the big smoky, I think, for Penrith this year is going to be Luai. And, I mean, when I say Smokey, I don't mean that, you know, he's, he's come from nowhere because he had a massive 2020. But I think 2021, if he can take on more of a leadership role with his side and really cement his spot at 5'8", I actually reckon they can go all the way. Oh, big call. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the in the grand final, but um, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think they're going to have to play better than what they did last year almost to do it because I think that a few other teams are going to kind of be better off, like... um without going too far into it, like I think that the 
the Raiders could be better for last year's run just by having someone like Josh Hodgson back and a year under George Williams belt in that um, NRL yeah, jersey. Uh, yeah. So I, I do like them for top four. Uh, I think that Souths are a lot better, uh, and I expect them to be good. And even though I'm not saying, you know, I always have to sort of throw the KB out there when I talk about the Roosters first, Tommy. <laughs> um, I, I'm not saying, you know, don't come off here listening to this podcast that Barnsley said the Roosters are going to win the Premiership again. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we were disappointing in the back half of last year, and I think it's unlikely that a Roosters side... Uh, does that two years in a row, I think that will be better in the in the back third of of this year than what we were last season. So I think that those teams that are sort of the top four quality teams, I see those teams sort of being better than what they were last year. Uh, and the Panthers kind of needing to step up a bit. And the Panthers didn't get the grand final too easy last year either. I mean, the, the Roosters sort of had a run at them for about 15 minutes, which almost put them in back in the game to... Yeah, to sort yeah, of snatch that victory. So, but let's let's have a quick look at their draw since you mentioned it before we talk about the players. Um, last week we had you know two of the better draws that we reviewed. This this week the Penrith Panthers draw is a real mid, middling draw. It's right in the middle. Uh, they start off with the Cowboys, and then the Bulldogs. So the first two weeks is good, and it's it's basically home and away for the first sort of six weeks of the season for them. So it's pretty split, but. Cowboys, Dogs, obvious ones that are going to be great matchups for the Panthers. Um, then they hit the Storm, and then they hit the Seagulls away, which makes that a bit harder. So that's a bit of a tougher two-week period. And then in round five, they hit the Raiders. So a little bit of a mixed bag. First two is obviously easy, and the next three a bit harder. Then they've got the Broncos away, and then they hit a real sweet spot from round seven to nine, where they've got three games at home at Penrith Stadium with the Knights, the Seagulls, and the Sharks, which is a lot, lot easier. And they finish that off with the Titans in round 10. So the first 10 weeks, um, I think they finish it off really strongly with that last month of footy. And then they go straight into the Rabbits, the Doggies, and the Tigers in round 13. And mentioning round 13 as a halfway point is a is a really important thing because the Panthers are playing that big bye. So people like Luai, who aren't going to be an origin player, uh, if you're, you know, planning on getting them at some point, they're going to be really handy in round 13, and I'm sure a lot of Panthers will be targeted. But for me, Tommy, I think um, I, I say it every every preseason preview podcast that I'm really looking at that sort of for six to eight weeks um, about what the draw sort of looks like to me. I'm not taking it all into account when I'm picking players, but it's something. It's that cherry on top, and the Panthers draw is probably, you know, sort of in the middle. It's not bad. It's not fantastic. No, but I, was, I think you're right. I think um, one thing I've been notorious for has been a really slow start. I've been looking over the years more at picking up the cheapies and trying to build bank rather than build points. And, um, yeah, this this year it's sort of clicked for me a lot more that if you can get off to a good start, you can sort of have those fall-off games here and there. And I think that Panthers players, there's there's a few there. That, like I mean, you, let's face it, everyone's locking in Cleary from the get-go. If you if you don't, you got rocks in your head, and if you if you sort of umming and ahhing between him and someone else, Pete Cleary all day because that that first part of the draw, yeah, it's not perfect, but for me, it's one of those things where he can he can go out and blow the Cowboys away, he can blow the Bulldogs away, and if he gets Manly on a good run, he's got them too. So yeah, I just think that uh, yeah, there's there's a few guys in there that that are definitely absolute locks for my for my starting side, and I think that Cleary is one of them. Yeah, so he's the first gun that we're going to talk about. So let's get into him. He's 734k. Uh, so very expensive. Uh, definitely you know, the most expensive half that you can have out of both the halfback and 5'8 position, even though he's half only. But 
it's going to set you back a lot of money, and I think that that's what people are kind of looking at with Cleary uh, and why some people are considering not having him. When you go through his numbers, though, uh, it's very difficult to leave him out. So I am someone who has experimented with teams without Cleary when I thought that Munster was going to get the kicking uh, because of my team setups and other guys that I wanted. I was looking at um, cutting price in one of those half spots, and I actually kept Munster and got rid of Cleary to see what it looked like. I've said to everyone that I've got Moses in there at the moment, and you know I like the start of his draw and everything, and he's a run player. I'm just looking at the run, but I'm now looking at trying to... Uh, I, I have made room to have Cleary and Moses both as my half-packs because once I went through these numbers a few times, very hard to leave Cleary out. So in his 2020 season, he played 18 games, only one of those was sub-50, which is incredible. And only four of them were sub-70. So forget about sub-60, sub-70. So 78% of the time, he was hitting 70-plus. Uh, a couple of things to talk about with those numbers, though. He had to try and line break almost every second game. So he was doing that pretty regularly. One thing that I will tip my hat at as a worry is that there was at least three games where... He did that in the last five to ten minutes, uh, and was looking at a really bad score. So that you know that was pretty nerve wracking, and he certainly looked like he had some lower scores in him. Um, but the other thing is as well that he had over one try assist a game, and, and that's the key. If he's getting over his one try assist a game and having the goal kicking, it's very hard to leave him out because he's going to score bulk points. One of the concerns for me, if I'm going to look at the the glass half full versus empty approach, which we need to do, we've got to be a bit impartial. We can't just say get clear in. Is if you're looking at 2019 versus 2020, you know you need to look at what changed, and you got to look at what changed because it, it was just such a big increase. He's gone from an average in 2019 of only 68 points, which I say only because he averaged 83 points in 2020. You know that's a 15 point per game increase, and on face value, you know it's it's a bit difficult to kind of see why he scored a similar amount of tries. He's obviously still a focal point of the attack. He's obviously still a goal kicker. One of the things that sticks out, though, when you look at the numbers is in 2019, he kicked uh, 58 goals. In 2020, he kicked 86 goals. That's almost a 50% increase in his goal kicking and therefore his goal kicking super coach points. So if you are considering whether Cleary is going to go as well or not, uh, I actually think the numbers say it's going to come down to his goal kicking. You know, you can expect him to get that one try assist a game. You can expect every um, two or three games he's going to score a try line break. Uh, but, you know, whether he's going to have that career high in goals attempted, you know, comes down to how good the Panthers attack is, I guess, Tom. Yeah, I think um, one thing to look at as well when it comes down to the, the goal kicking is are there more points that are going to be scored per game? With with the new rules and the, the speed up around the ruck and things like that, you kind of got to assume that there might even be one or two tries per game scored, like extra this year. Yep. Uh, and, and with that obviously comes the extra chance of a conversion. Um, and, and going back to previous seasons, he didn't really have the strike weapons on the wing that he has now. Yep. Uh, being able to, to play, like his, his kicking game is... is you know, it, it's very solid. It's it's not Adam Reynolds solid, but it's pretty solid. With the wingers that they've got now, uh, or that they should have come round one, yeah, I, I can see him probably, like, maybe not hitting his 83-point-per-game average that he had last year, but I reckon he's going to come very, very close to it. And I think that if you don't start with him, you're going to rely heavily on Mitch Moses to be able to get you to Cleary at some point, because... 
his price point is going to cost you two players. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that, and I'll make a bold statement here, I don't think oh. that Cleary is going to go 83 points a game for the season, but I still think he's far and away the best halfback. So, you know, contradicting myself a little bit, but 75 points a game is phenomenal. You know, if he does 75, it's still seven points better than his 20, um, 2019 season, and you'd still take it. It's still great. But it would mean that he's, you know, eight points undervalued, and then you got to look at what he did for the start of the season. I, 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 I would never argue with any man that says I've got Cleary in, and you should lock him in. Like, completely makes sense. The problem is that we've got this year, Tommy, is that Cleary is such a good super coach player, which means that he's 734k coming off a career year, and we've yeah. had someone like Tedesco just busted up like nothing we've ever seen, and come in at, you know. 850k just about. You know, it's 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 crazy when you look at two players and you go, I'm going to spend towards 1.6 million on my salary cap just to have those two. And then you're plugging in guys like in your back row, um, like, you know, the 650k's, Madison's, uh, and the same with um, Angus Crichton, who's even more money. Uh, and then you've got some of the other guys like Munster that a lot of people think are a must-have as well, that are 650-odd. Yeah, all of a sudden you've gone through five players and you just don't have the room. So you've obviously got to leave some out. So, I mean, is there any argument do you think that you could prioritise other guns over Cleary or do you really think that he's just one of the first guns you should throw in there at 734k? Well, I mean, there's always a counter-argument for that and I can understand, once again, that people don't want to be spending such a huge chunk of their salary cap when you know that they're going to be picking up a Tedesco and a Munster and a Madison or a Crichton or something like that. Like, I get that. My my only problem with not having Cleary... Well, actually, it's not even a problem not having Cleary. It's the fact that come probably round five or six, you're going to start to see a big gap eventuate between the haves and the have-nots. And it's going to be the people that made the mistake of picking up Cleary if he tanks or the people that, you know, were, were smart enough to, to grab him early, you know? And I think... When, when you look at how the, how the super coaches play these days, it's, there's a lot of little variance, but essentially come the final three or four rounds, every team's just about the same, barring a couple of players here and there. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough decision to make because if you, if you sacrifice Cleary, you, you're effectively sacrificing 83 points per game. Now, where do you get those points from for 734 grand? It's coming from two players. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like, if if I'm getting rid of those 83 points, well, I got to make them up somewhere. You got to moneyball this thing and go, okay, well, if uh, if I get Cleary and I get a a cheapie that maybe only scores 30 or 40 points per game, well, that that averages out to be 120 points per game for a million bucks, or you know, mid range, not not so much a cheapie, but around about a million bucks for 130 points. Now, where else can you get that? And that and that's what you've got to find. So whilst I don't think that anyone is wrong for not starting Cleary, I think that if they're going to start a Moses or um, uh, uh, um, yeah, Williams or someone like that, they've, they've got to find those points elsewhere, and that's going to be the key to progressing against those people that do own Cleary. Yeah, and that's where the mass comes into it too. Like I think your like Tom was saying, your room for error really reduces. You, you've basically got to nail your decision-making to be able to have it come off. And I I will say, like, just about everything that you can do in Supercoach as far as guns go from round one, there's always an option where it can come off. It just means that you might have a, 
you know, defeating Thanos option and one in 12 million chances of it happening, but it's always going to be there. You know, you, you got to have a chance, but you really have to nail that chance. Um, with Cleary, you know, it, it's not going to quite be a, um, a Thanos one, but it's going to be pretty high odds. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to have him purely because I am too scared of the Cowboys and the Bulldogs allowing him to just kill them. Um, and I'm also worried... I want him for that round six onward draw. You know, I was happy enough to not have him for the first five weeks if it wasn't the Bulldogs and Cows both in there. But because they are, and because I want him in round six to hit the Broncos, and then the rest of that plum draw before he hits Origin, I probably am going to have to start with him. I will say the other thing in his favour, Tommy, is that I'm looking at like a Moses hand grenade. Now, you know, my hope for Moses at that price point hopefully he, he goes well and averages like 65. And then the hope was maybe Cleary for the first month can average 65, 70, which is great anyway, but well below his price point. And then, yeah. we're, and then we're in business. The problem is, if, if you don't have any love for Moses, and look, it's it's a bad relationship for me. I can't stand Mitchell Moses, but I'm buying oh, him. Sorry, so you know, I just can't get away from him. I'm just getting up drunk dialing him every season. But it's just... If you don't like Moses and you're not going to go there, the question remains, who are you going to get instead of Cleary? And unfortunately, the halfback position is one of those ones where DCE might have been appealing if he was goal-kicking. It looks like he's not. So you're not going to fully cross him off, but he's not a fantastic option. Um, And then really, you know, you're down into the the level of a George Williams because he might have some goal-kicking to start the season before Croker comes back three weeks in. And that's a very big drop-off in the halfback levels and tiers that you can go for. Whereas, in, at least in second row forward or something like that, you've got so many players to choose from. You know, the drop-off just really isn't that big. But the drop-off for Cleary in that halfback spot, it, it's a pretty big drop-off. So it becomes a, a bit harder to kind of fill that void. And that, that's that's my worry about him, is that he he doesn't have that great start. But I, I just think that overall, over the course of the year, he's going to be the more, most consistent halfback in the game. And with with the attacking options that are coming out of this Penrith side, like there, there, there's going to be points available, you know. Like we're we're going to discuss the Dragons later on. One thing I'm going to say about them is I don't think there's a lot of points in them. Whereas yeah, this Panthers side, they can put on tries. So yeah, it's it's a bold decision to go away from Cleary. But I think if you're going to do that, you've got to have a plan B, or or you just have like 17 super coach sides. <laughs> and then he can come second and first and ninth. That's fine. Yeah, imagine playing yourself out for the for the ring in the <laughs> the end in the last round. That'd be great. It almost happened last year. It almost happened. Uh, the DT would have a field day. All right. So Cleary Cleary is a pretty pretty cut and dried one. Uh, it's pretty hard to leave him out. The next gun that we're going to talk about on the Panthers list. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna actually round him up so he is a gun, but he actually averaged fifty nine point something points, and that was JFH. So Fisher Harris, yeah, the fish is five hundred twenty two k. The thing that is interesting about him is he's a dual second row forward, front row forward. Now, Supercoach have been notorious the last few years in being harder and harder on the duels. Being able to put him in front row forward is an advantage. Now his minutes were actually down to 58 minutes per game from the 77 minutes he played in 2019. But he still managed to up his PPM to average almost 60 points a game. So there was about a six-point drop-off between 19 and 20, but 
he had a 19-minute drop-off in his actual minutes. Um, and a lot of that was just to do with role. Um, he played 13 a bit more um, in the past as well. Um, and even when he was coming through, he even played some edge. But pretty much exclusively a prop forward in the 2020 season. I can't see that changing. So he's definitely going to be wearing uh, a prop forward number on his back come round one. I haven't been a huge fan of James Fisher-Harris because to me, I did get burned by him a couple of years ago, but he seems to have these runs of like just beasting base stats. And, you know, he is a good base stat player, but in saying that, he then goes on these runs where he's just really disappointing and he has some lower scores in him. So some of the upside for him, though, he didn't have a try all of last season. So, you know, he really did it with a lot of base. But only 40% of his games were actually 60-plus. And if you look at the second half of the season, you see exactly what my worry with him is. You know, he had some big games in the first half of the season, but the second half across a 10-game sample size, he only had a 51 average. Now, he had one game that was injury-affected, but even if you take that out and you look at the other nine games for the second half of the season that he finished on, it was only around a 53 average. Yeah, so there's there's even a case that, you know, if he comes out and starts like that, you've got a guy that you pay six points overs for that doesn't really have any scoring upside, doesn't really have a lot of attack upside. Even his base attack isn't huge. And, you know, you're kind of getting a middling meat and potatoes, 50s, even low 50s guy that can throw up the occasional 40s at, at 522,000. So I don't see a lot of appeal, but I know that JFH has his fans and he certainly goes on his runs being a, a raw stat beast. Yeah, totally agree. I think um, the the thing with the fish is that he he doesn't attack at all. He's he's very he's he's the decoy. He's the guy that you throw at the line and pass behind his back. And every now and again, occasionally one gets stuck in his hand and he scores a try, but that didn't happen last year. Um, the year before, I think we went okay. Twenty nineteen, I think was good, but yeah, I, calling him a gun is tough, man. That's uh, the only thing that is super appealing about him to me is the fact that he's dual. Mm. Other than that, I'm not even considering him. And I think there's there's better, higher ceiling players out there. And at, what, what is he? 520 grand. That's pretty expensive for a guy who is sitting in a position where there's probably a handful of players better than him and a bunch of rookies that have a lot more potential than him. So if you're a fan of him, by all means, because you know what you're going to get. You're going to get that 50 to 60 point per game, every game. You're never going to get that 100 point per game. He's just, he just doesn't have that in him. And I, I worry about his minutes this year too. I think that his minutes are going to be okay purely because they've got Tamau out and they really don't have a huge amount of middle forwards. I mean, we're going to talk about it a bit later, but one of the things that's going to be interesting is whether they actually have um, a guy that can be a utility and capable on the bench um, as well as someone like Tyrone May. And, you know, if that happens, and they've basically got two middle forwards on the bench, then the middle forward minutes that are starting look, you know, pretty safe. And someone like someone like him is probably going to get the same minutes. But, look, I, I'm bordering on saying that Fisher-Harris is a mistake. Um, the only reason that I sort of hold off a little bit and give him kind of a little bit of a gun nudge because he was around that 60-point mark is because you can consider him a front-row forward. The teams yeah. that I've seen have had him at front-row forward, and that's... That's almost like centre wing, where, you know, centre wing, I say, look, traditionally 60-plus is your is your gun status, but centre wing to me, you know, 55-plus, you can even start to consider guys guns almost because it's such a, a volatile position or one that doesn't have enough people averaging gun numbers, so you almost have to adjust the gun expectation. 
Front row forward's a little bit the same. It's pretty top-heavy. Uh, but I, I wouldn't go near him, Tommy, and I, I would say he's almost a mistake if you throw him in just because of his price and the other options you could have. This next guy isn't really going to be looking better, and he, it's funny. He's actually... <laughs> He's actually the polar opposite of, of James Fisher-Harris, um, which is interesting because James Fisher-Harris, like we just said, he's, he's, he's got some raw base stats that are just very appealing sometimes but has not very much attack at all, whereas this other guy, terrible base stats, terrible base stats for a four. Terrible. And it, he really relies exclusively on his base attack and, and clutch attack to be able to get you half-decent scores, and that is big Billy kick out now. I'm going to cut out and say it. A lot of people know I'm a big Billy Kikiar fan. I, I love his potential. He's got a great super coach game, and he just doesn't seem to get there. And I try and buy him for runs, and I'm going to defend it because, like last year when I bought him, I think it was like three hundred sixty thousand, and it was just like whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm not spending much money, and you know he, he can give me a couple of good scores, maybe hopefully. The problem is that you get sucked into playing him too much, and you know he, he burns you, but. Those are the times to buy Billy Kikiao, um, not for round one, but looking at the tail of the tape, his base and base attack, which, you know, his base was already bad, but his base attack is his bread and butter. Both of them went down to career lows for the 2020 season, but his base, as bad as what it was, it went down from 40 in 2019 as a raw base, which wasn't good, but it wasn't terrible, terrible. It's not terrible. But 33 in 2020 is basically unownable. If you've got a forward that's got a 33 base stat, who's playing, you know, 70 odd minutes a game on average, you just can't, you just can't do it. And the problem with him is as well that you kind of, he had some games where he looked injured and stuff, and there's other games where you go, oh, look, he just, you know, wasn't involved, whatever. The problem is that out of all, all 17 games, he only had the one game where he mussed up and got, got 40 plus in base. Like, 16 out of 17 games, his base was below 40 points. And you just you just look at that and go, there's no way you can have that. Um, so I, I understand the appeal because I've been sucked in with him before. And, you know, look, you probably... I will look at buying him for that first for that first buy because he's probably going to be one of the better, sort of cheaper second-rate forward options. 540000 round one, not the time to buy Billy Kikau. I'm going to throw it out there that he'll either tear up either the Bulldogs or the Cowboys' edge in one of the first two games, and it'll make me look silly. But then I'll look good a couple of weeks later after he throws up, you know, a 37 and a 45. So 540k, you just can't do it. But but monitor him and um, and look for maybe a purchase towards round 13 if you can get him real cheap. Yeah, spot on. I think that um, he does have that potential to tear up in those first couple of games. But ultimately, I think he's a prospect for that first buy. Um, you know, if he, if he drops under 500 or even under sort of 480k, he's probably worth a look at. But at that current 540 price, he's just not worth it. Um, you, you, you're dead right in when it comes to his base stats. It's not that impressive. Watching him play, he's a constant threat, but he doesn't ever seem to be able to get that extra offload or those post-contact meters that a lot of the, the sort of high-scoring base players are getting. Um and once again, I have to harp back to the, the Panthers' scoring ability. You know, there's there's going to be a lot of points available in this side, but I don't think that they go through the forwards as much this year. Yeah, that's a fair call with the forwards as well. I mean, it's, it's frustrating to watch him because, you know, and this is why it's important to watch some of the games as well because you won't see it in the numbers. He, I've said a couple of times, and I might have even said it last week when I was chatting to Luke, the, um, the thing with some of these forwards that burst onto the scene and just 
look phenomenal. Like they're, they're busting tackles, they're running through brick walls, it's tackle break, tackle break, fighting to get offloads and whatever else. They come in like that and they have that impact. And either due to the fact that teams do their homework on them the next year or they lose hunger, which happens a lot, um, they just stop doing it. So if you watch a Billy Kickout tape from when he came onto the scene to now, it's night and day. You know, when you see him take hit ups last season, he's basically hitting the line and going to ground, you know, and looking to play the ball. He's not trying to fight through the tackles, he's not trying to run through a brick wall. Um, and there's other times where he's just looking lame to the point that I thought he was injured a lot, but I actually just think that he's kind of He's kind of lazy. Lazy, yeah. <laughs> He's kind of lazy, and he's sort of, I don't know, like maybe the hunger's not there, I, I, I don't know. And he's almost playing like another centre sometimes where he's standing so wide and just not doing the work, whereas when he debuted, he's taking all these kamikaze hit-ups and stuff, and you go, wow, this guy looks great. And he's, not, he's just not doing it now. I think you can you can almost liken this current Panthers side this year to, and it's, it's my favourite side of all time, the 2014 Rabbitohs. Um, <laughs> I know. But uh, you look at it in that they've got a big forward pack with a, a nippy little hooker that can get around the ruck. Uh, I think Coruscant is going to have a really good season this year. Um, and guys like Kickow and Fisher-Harris uh, sort of being the... And, and, and Leona at some point being almost like those thug front rowers that can take those big hit-ups. I think that, um, yeah, there's, there's a definitely a, a very good quality that these guys are showing, but... Yeah, when it, when it comes to Kikau as an individual supercoach prospect, I'm just not sold on him at that price. I think if he was a couple of, if he was a hundred grand cheaper, absolutely worth having a look at. And I think he will be a hundred grand cheaper come round 10. Yeah, same. I, I think he's definitely going to swing down. Um, so you just wait for that. Look, the other thing with supercoach as well, guys, is, you know, some of these guys can turn it around. Like, Kickout could revert to what he was doing two years ago and just come out and just be fired up and just be all guns blazing. Could be one of the form forwards because he's got the potential. If he is, you know, pick him up round three before he has, you know, a price rise and get rid of one of you guys that's a dud. You don't have to take that risk for round one. Yao is the next guy on the list that we're going to hit up and he had a phenomenal season himself. He is 612,000 coming into this year. But the big news for Isaiah Yao is that he's a non-dual. So one of the reasons why he was so valuable in 2020 is obviously because every single person had him plugged into their centre wing and he was the best centre wing that you could have. But he's gone out of centre wing now, which means you've got to throw him in a second row forward and that is quite a crowded area in the second row forward. Big market there for a lot of different options. Um, now, he's looking at wearing the 13 again. He should play 80-minute games, um, but... In saying that, he, he relied on his 58 base mainly. So 58 base in 2020, you know, that's, that's elite level base. When you're getting towards the 60s, you know, that's, that's elite. 58 rule base is fantastic. The problem with him is for your secondary forward options is you don't have a lack of guys that are going to give you a good base in the forward pack like you do in center wing. So his biggest attribute and value is actually decreased a little bit. As far as what else he can offer, that's the problem with having him in second row forward as well. He doesn't quite have much attacking upside. He had the two tries last year where he scored 95 and 87, but that was it. He doesn't have a lot of base attack. Um, he doesn't offload hugely. He doesn't have a huge amount of tackle breaks. Uh, you're really relying on that big base. Had a phenomenal season, um, but for me, he's a stay away. I just think that guys like Madison for 30k extra, uh, and then, you know, obviously Angus is that little bit more as well, but they're not too far off him. 
but even other guys, like you could save, well, you know, 40 grand on going down to a Nathan Brown, um, or you can go real pottish and just take a pun on someone like a Barnett that I spoke about liking last week for 65k less, you know. There's just so many secondary forward options that maybe have some attack upside as well as good base. Um, I just I don't see Yao as a as a phenomenal round one option. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. the The big thing with Yao is that he doesn't have a, he doesn't offer a really high ceiling. Like he his his high score was a touch over a hundred, and that was you know he was pretty lucky to get that. I thought last year. Um, he does have a few attacking stats in him. But for me, I don't think he's someone that you need to look at right away. Um, once again, another guy that could be perfect when he drops a hundred grand. But I don't like off his six twelve, like six hundred twelve k. I don't see him making any money. And, and early on in the piece, there's a few a uh, few second rowers that can definitely make you a bit more money at, at the early rounds. Yeah, for sure. And look, uh, I, he averaged sixty nine points a game in twenty twenty. Yeah, he could do it again. Um, but you know. He's coming off of 2019, where he only played three minutes less a game, and he put up 44 points. It was in a different role, sure, but 44 to 69 is a very big increase. Um, 2018, 73 minutes, 57 points. 2017, 79 minutes, 54 points. 2016, 80 minutes, 51 points. Different roles, okay? So I get it. He's going to score more and less minutes in the role that he's currently in, but... There's a lot of room between sort of a low of 44 and a high of 69 in his last five years on what he's averaged. So if the truth is somewhere in between or, you know, it would totally make sense there's some regression, he could still be a gun and average 60-62, but that's going to be real disappointing if you pay 69 points with no ceiling from round one to get him in, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's the key for me. Um, he's, he's a guy that I looked at, obviously, and, and had him, obviously, last year in the centres. And if he was dual again this year, he'd be an absolute must-buy pickup because of that base average. But, yeah, when you throw him in amongst those other back rowers that can potentially score 30 or 40 points more per game early on in the piece, I just, I just can't look at him at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, to finish off on uh, Isaiah, there's the other thing with him that is a big, big plus is that he's going to play round 13 um, if he's not in the origin team. So, you know, he is someone that, like Tom said, you, you can look at getting a bit cheaper potentially. He's probably not going to be much cheaper though, but you know, he's not going to be much yeah, more expensive. Not. So, I mean, 550 to his current price is probably going to be his range. And that's fine. Like buy him sort of around 10 or something, um, getting ready for that buy if he's not going to make the origin. And, and you know, he's, a, he's going to be really useful in round 13. Um, moving along. The last gun that we're going to talk about is Appy Corusia. Appy comes in at 587k, and you know he had a really good season last year. Uh, I think he rewarded people that purchased him to start with because he was actually coming in at a really cheap price point, and he ended up making a ton of money. And then a lot of us didn't sell him because he ended up being too valuable because of his scores. He ended up he ended up with a 52 raw base, and that was better than uh, Damian Cook. Uh, and it was better than Harry Grant, despite Harry Grant going fantastic too. Those are probably the top two hookers that people are looking at as far as guns for spending for 2021, and Appy had a better base than both of them. The problem is, you know, he averaged 66 points a game in his 75 minutes in 2020. That's by far and away uh, his best. Uh, a lot of the time he's been sort of a low to, to late 50s type of average guy, even with the minutes and opportunities, so 66 was pretty high. Uh, heavily relying on the base, though, Tom and not too much attack compared to the other guys. So whilst, you know, a Cook and Grant is going to have a bit of a lower base and Appy's got him there, 
the other guys are going to have a much higher ceiling as far as the type of attack that they can get. So, you know, he might be a few a few points off, a few points value maybe because he had a, a few injury affected games where he played some lesser minutes. That's definitely there, um, but so is the fact that there's there's potential for a few point regression as well. Yeah, I think looking at Appy from uh, round one op- as a, as a round one option, I, I just don't see it. Um, I think he and, and this whole Panthers side, let's face it, are primed to be picked up around the Origin period. Um, and Appy's one of those guys that you'll be looking at because if you're going to have this you know gun heavy side with your Tedesco's and your Clearies, like you got to save money somewhere, and it's going to come at positions like hooker where you've got your Littles and your Hoy is the other option that people are looking at. Um, I just think that, yeah, his, his ceiling's not high enough to warrant an early an early spend, uh, and I think that you'll be trying to save money that hooker roll more than anything else. Look, the problem is that if you're going to spend that type of money and you've got that money to throw around for hooker, um, you know, Appy at 587k, yeah, you've got David Cook sitting there at 620 like, that's what I mean. Like, if you, if you if you're spending up big in the hooker role, and that's how you want to sort of focus your side, there's still probably better options than Appy. Um, you know, even depending on what you know, who who Cam Smith runs out for next year, he's even a viable option. You know, like I think that Appy, even like you're pretty much guaranteed he's going to play 80 for the majority of the season, and his his base is always fantastic. I just think, yeah, you. Why not spend the extra forty k to get Cookie in? Well, you, you've got that higher ceiling there. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd just be doing that. Um, I don't think it's too far away, and I think it's a pretty clear pecking order where you've got um, Cook and Harry Grant, possibly Cameron Smith if he comes back, and then Appy's a tier below those guys. And it wouldn't be surprising if Appy goes, you know, fifty-two to fifty-five average for a four or five rounder to start off with, something like that, um, or at some point in the middle there before the Origin period a third through the season, and then, you know, he's going to drop. He's, he's going to drop, like, you know, 80K pretty quickly when that happens. That's what I think, too. And, and don't be surprised if he does pop off in those first couple of couple of games and maybe even tons up against someone like the Dogs or the Cowboys because, I mean, it's it's possible. But I just think that, yeah, while he's not a trap, your money can definitely be better spent elsewhere early on in the piece. He could actually be a really good upgrade for someone like Little come Origin time. You know, like if 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 Little sort of makes that that money that we expect him to make by getting that time, then yeah, Little to Coruscant is not not a bad play. Yeah, I don't mind it either. I think that um, you know, you could get Little to four four twenty or something, and then you end up with Coruscant hitting you know the five hundred k mark or something like that, and then you've only got eighty grand to find that you that you can do that upgrade, and then you can just sit him there whenever time that he ripens, ready for that round 13 game. So uh, I think that's when you should be targeting him, not round one. Let's uh, move on to a couple of rising guns to talk about. So Panthers had a lot of good players last season, obviously, because they had a great year. Uh, one of them that's been a little bit overlooked is a fullback that I've liked since he started, and that's Dylan Edwards. So when Edwards started, like he came into first grade as a pretty highly touted junior from the Panthers, and he looked really good. And then all of a sudden, like he, you know, 2017, he was averaging 58 points a game, and he, he looked like that he was on the up and up. And then re- pretty injury affected, you know, in, in 2018, um, he only played the eight games. 2019, he played the full 20, but only averaged 50 points a game. And his game just seemed to digress. Um, he wasn't wasn't anywhere near the prospect that I thought he was going to be. And then in 2020, he really came through. 
So in 2020, he averaged pretty quietly because a lot of the other fullbacks got a lot of credit and a lot of um, noise. 69 points a game, Dylan Edwards. Now, he did that only 11 games because he missed the start of the season and also a few games in the middle. But 69 points a game, it's nothing to sneeze at. Um, The problem is that he is fullback only. But there is some people that are firstly looking at uh, maybe admitting one of the bigger guns. Uh, I've said last week that there's no way I'd be leaving Teddy out. I'm too scared, but... If you're not, or you hate Teddy, or you don't like the Roosters, or whatever your reason is, and you want a, a second fullback that's a pod, no one's going to own Dylan Edwards. And his numbers are actually really impressive. 69 points a game is obviously awesome, but when you drill down into it, you know, 608k to start with, so he's not heaps expensive for a fullback. But for him, it's all about the runs and tackle breaks, and that's not something that generally you're going to lose. You know, it's not volatile. Uh, he is a worker, and when you have a look at it, you know, he's not one of those playmaking or attacking fullbacks like some of the others. He's only got the 0.5 try assist a game. But when you look at his last six games, when he returned from that three-game absence from injury, his last six games, his raw base was 40. And he only had one sub-50 game. And he only had three from 11 games where he was less than 60-plus. So, I mean, when you're talking about... 60-60 guns, like 73% of the time, he went 60-plus, albeit in 11-game sample size. But I was just really impressed with how he did it. You know, to have a full-back that can do it through you know, top top of the league, elite tackle breaks and runs, um, with his raw base in his last six games going to 40, you know, that's, that's pretty appealing when you consider that he does have the upside of starting to get better with his attack and scoring some more try assists and stuff potentially as well against the Cows and the Bulldogs. Brave man to leave out any other fullbacks, but I will say that Ponga is out of the picture now. If, say, Pappenhausen didn't get the kicking, maybe that he's less appealing. Maybe people are worried about Turbo's hammy. Maybe Teddy's too expensive. There's a way that you could talk yourself into a pod second fullback potentially. I wouldn't. I'm stuck on Teddy Turbo. I'm not going anywhere, but Edwards at 69 points a game warrants serious mention. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll put my balls on the table here and just say, if you're picking Dylan Edwards in your starting team, you are off your dial. Um, I, yes, he scored well last year, but that was in a Panther side that lost one regular season game. You know what I mean? Like, this is a side that has has basically come... They always say, never pick a player off a career year, and I think for the Panthers last year, they are a career side. Um, if you're looking at Dylan Edwards and not considering uh, King Gutho at 10 grand more, or Pappenhausen at 20 grand more, or even dropping back a few grand and looking at Lomax, I, I just... I, yeah, I, I cannot... I cannot condone picking Dylan Edwards in your team at all, ever. Well, and I'll say that now, and watch me come round three, I'll be like... Oh, <laughs> well, but, I, I just threw the bait in the water there, and uh, I didn't even get the line in, and <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. I want you to disagree on something with me, Tommy, so... <laughs> and, and I will, I will when, it, when I feel it's justified, and this is absolutely justified. Like, I've got nothing against Dylan Edwards, but I think that um, for his price, not worth it. Um, for his base stats, he's averaging 33 in base, so... He relies heavily on attacking points. And when you've got uh, Staines and Toto as your wingers, you're, he's, he's now a try assist moneymaker. That's, that's about it. 
Oh, see, the reason I disagree is because I, I think the last six rounds is more the Dylan Edwards that, um, that I think that we'll see. I think he's going to have a base more towards that 40 points than 33. Um, and I do think that he's less about the attack. I mean, he only did 0.5. Um, try assist a game. He wasn't he wasn't doing huge level of try assists or anything. Um, but when I say he warrants a mention, like he warrants a mention because sixty nine points a game is huge super coach scoring. Uh, and you've yeah, got yeah. to and you've got to talk about him. Um, I've already said that I'm going turbo and Teddy and I I can't not do that. Uh, but I will say that you know if you're looking at pods like Edwards is one and I could see him averaging seventy points. I really could. Um, it's just that the other fullbacks are probably going to be better. So, you know, whether you can use that little bit of extra money to get ahead, I don't think that you can. But he is someone who is on my cheat sheet for draft. And I cannot wait to pick him up late in draft because I think that a lot of people sleep on him. We only mention draft occasionally, but um, it needs to be talked about because it's a growing format. And Dylan draft Edwards... Is my favourite format. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that you love draft. I know you love draft, mate, so I thought I'd throw it in there for you too. No, but... I appreciate it. got Teddy as my carryover player from last year, so I can't look at fullbacks this year. Oh, so you're, yeah, you've got keepers and stuff. I think most people aren't in a keeper one, so yeah. if, you, if you've got a late pick, like, I think a lot of people, like, in a, in a league that they're sort of picking late in the draft, a lot of the fullbacks are going to go early. Um, and then you're stuck without one of the gun fullbacks. And someone like Dylan Edwards, a few rounds in, um, he could actually fill it pretty nicely, and he'll probably yeah, be available. That's a good point. And that's, yeah, for the draft players out there, he's definitely someone that you could target and, and get real under the radar with. Um, the next gun that we're going to talk about that's a rising gun, uh, who got to gun status, uh, but whether he stays there or not is a big question. And that is Luai. So Luai had an absolute cracker of a season. Jerome Luai ended up with 62 points a game. Uh, the first year that he actually started and played 80 minutes a game in 2020. He he did that as really a tale of two halves. And this is one of the things that, that worries me with Luai. He comes in at 551k. It's 5'8 only. I have seen some people toy around with uh, starting with him and looking at him as a pod prospect and, and also... Maybe having some rose-coloured glasses on because they looked at the, the final stretch of last year and how good he looked, and he did look very good. But I'm going to break the season down a little bit here. You know, the last six games of last year, three out of six of those games he had a ton and averaged 91 across those six games, and five out of those six games he scored a try. It was unbelievable the run that he went on, but I remember very well how he went to start that season, and... I remember that because, like everyone, I started with him, and I sold him real low because I was that frustrated. So he only actually averaged 45 points a game in his first seven games and didn't break 60 once. Now, that's a bit of the worry when you have a guy that's coming to their first full-time NRL position in the halves. Uh, it is always a bit of an up-and-down season. And the problem is that you never really know the following season what player they are. You know, is this is this the 45-point Luai we're going to get in 21? Or is this the, you know, 91-point-a-game Luai? The truth is normally in the middle with most things, um, and it probably is in this case. But, you know, if he's sort of averaging 55, 60, uh, it's not going to be a fantastic purchase in an important position. And we already spoke, Tom, with the great points that you've made, that the Panthers scored a lot of points last year. You know, and he was involved in a lot of them. If they score a little bit yeah. less, that's going to hurt Luai. Um, and 
I I'm not going to say that he's not going to have a good season, um, but even even with him going ballistic at the end, he still only averaged 62 a game in 2020. So I I could not go near him for the halves at his mid 500s price point. Yeah, I think one thing about Lou I remember from his start last year was that um, the Panthers were kind of they, they kind of had a weird start to the season. Um, in the I think. It was around three and four that Cleary was missing. And I think for a, for a new half coming into a side that is expected to do really, really well, when you lose your halfback early on in the piece, just even just for a couple of games, it really unsettles you. Yep. Um, and Luai didn't have a lot of confidence as a player to begin with. And I think that, that run home that he had, that was, you know, that was on, on the back of his efforts, not so much on the team's efforts as well, because he played big in those games. So, yep. Whilst I, I, I don't want to, like, I personally won't be starting with him in my side. I, I wouldn't have a problem with anyone who did. Like, the, the points that he puts up and the ceiling that he has, there, there, there's definitely an argument to say that he's a starting 5'8 in your team. And once again, if you're looking to save money on a Cleary and, and drop down uh, and, and take a gamble, but you don't want to take a gamble away from Penrith, stick your money on Lua. Look, probably the only thing that I can see in his favour, really. Um, like, he's a good player. I'm not saying that he, you know... Does, no, absolutely. But not the most stacked position either. So yeah, exactly. you got Cam Munster at the top, um, and then Cody Walker, and then there really isn't a lot of elite options. So certainly Luai's in that, um, that middle group, but I still wouldn't spend on him myself. Like, I would... Gonna sound real dirty, but I would sooner go a double mid than than spend on Luai because I think that spending you know that five fifty to six hundred bracket is better yeah. spent elsewhere. When you also have to kind of go along the lines of where the, the cheapies and mids fall, and at the moment we've got Tex Hoy, uh, Watson, um, and also Moylan, and also even Milford at three hundred k that are all very cheap. Um, oh, don't don't mention Milford in this discussion, please. Well, I mean, you started bringing up South, so I thought it was free, free reign to oh. bring up everybody, but. <laughs> Lord Milford. Milford? God. 300,000. But uh, look, you can get, uh, I'll put it this way, like, you could get, you could get Watson if he starts at 13 as a starting 5'8, and you could throw Tex Hoy as a goal kicker for the start of the season playing fullback, and have both of those guys almost at the same cost as just having Luai. Because yeah. they're both so cheap. And then you fill two positions for the price of one, and you can spend that money fully, you know, in your second row forward, which I'd probably rather, um, or make sure that you've got the two gun fullbacks. Because if you don't have those two gun fullbacks and you're spending on someone like Luai, big, big mistake. Or if you don't have Cleary, you know, make sure you've got Cleary in at seven instead. You know, I, I just think that there's so much more you could do with that Luai money elsewhere, considering that the cheapies and the mids that are available there as well. And I think that's, that's a lot. Like we're going to be saying that a lot about these Penrith players is that the money that they that they sort of banked last year, it's it's going to be very hard to make that backup decision this year. So, you know, guys like Cleary, I can understand. Luai, not so much. Yeah, no, look, I, I, he's a stay away for me, uh, but he is a rising gun. Uh, I could have, I wouldn't be surprised because he's got the talent. I could have egg on my face. I will say to finish off on him. From a real NRL standard, and it did translate to his supercoach, he improved out of sight. You know, I remember him um, getting some games when he was debuting, and I was saying to even Luke that was on the podcast last week, you know, he had similar thoughts to me, and we were yep. chatting about it. So why did Penrith have these raps on this Luai kid? He is awful. 
Like he is a terrible <laughs> half. All he does is run and step. He he doesn't pass. He doesn't set up anyone. He's he's greedy. He he doesn't know how to play. We you know, we were just so many things that we were hurling at this this young Lua kid that came on. And then all of a sudden last year, both of us said the same thing when we were chatting and stuff. He's just turned it around. Like the amount of um, vision that he showed in 2020 and how much he's developed his passing game, his kicking game, just his footy IQ, it's night and day to the kid that they boot. Well, the interesting point to that, I think, is that when he played those games, uh, we had those like breakout games a couple of years ago where, you know, everyone just suddenly just jumped all over him and had massive raps on him. That was on a side that was kind of struggling a little bit and struggling with their own identity, if that makes sense. Um, yep. With him now not having to be the focal point of attack and having Cleary as his half partner and also uh, Ivan as his coach, like to me those like those settling influences have allowed him to be more of a natural footballer, and it, that that suits his style of game really well. Whereas I think yeah. Last time when he when he had that little breakout period, it was all on his shoulders. Whereas now, I think he can he can just settle in and play the role. Yeah, look, he's done really well. I I never thought that he would turn into this type of player. In fact, that I was uh, I thought the Penrith were crazy for not starting Burton at the start of last year and starting Luai instead. But you know they ended up making the right call, and that's why Barzi's <laughs> on an NRL coach and don't own an NRL team and probably never will. Um, let's move on. Uh, I'm just going to mention this guy. We're not even going to go through him. I've seen a few listeners ask about Capel um, and a few having them in their centre wing. And uh, I, at the moment, unless TLT changes or there's massive injuries, it's a massive, massive mistake. I think people are looking at the, the Queensland Maroons Capewell and not the Penrith Panthers Capewell. I was going to say, are they on the wrong Capewell? Two of his six games to finish the season were off the bench. He remained on the bench in the final series. The back row for that time was Martin, Kickout and Yo. Martin Kikau and Yo are still that back three in the back row. So Capel's not starting there. Uh, and a few people threw up on maybe he'll start at centre. They're not going to put him at centre. And if they do, it, it would be terrible. And clearly he's not a terrible coach. Penrith aren't a terrible team. He's going to be on the bench. So just stay away from him. We're going to move straight on to the big balls pod of the Penrith Panthers. And that is Brian Tuo. So I have been a huge fan of this kid since he debuted. He is a nugget of a winger, and he's got all the tools to be one of the best ones in Supercoach as well. 2020 season for Brian Tua, he came on and was had some injury-affected uh, games and also um, right in the middle of the season, which I think you know a lot of people didn't get on for the start, and then he kind of disappeared during the middle of the season, and then people kind of forgot about him. I bought him in round um, 16 when he returned from injury because I really liked the final run where they had, you know, the Tigers, the Broncos, Power, Cowboys, and, and Bulldogs. And jeez, he was good. You know, he finished, returning in round 16, he went 97, 72, 71, 59, and 65 points. Awesome effort, uh, and it showed what he's capable of. Ended up with a 59 average, um, but, you know, he did have an injury-affected game in round 8. Um, he was coming in off an injury-affected year last year as well. I really think that he's going to go into um, be one of the best centre wings in the game the next couple of years if he keeps going. With his numbers, Tommy, 32 base is right up there with the top shelf, top shelf um, half a dozen pure centre wings. And by pure centre wings, I mean the guys that aren't, you know, forwards. The yep. guys that are actual centre wings, he was right at the top as far as his raw base. But his TBs is what really gets him there. You know, you talk about base plus base attack. 
His tackle breaks were number one for Penrith and equal six in the NRL when you look at averages, getting almost five a game. And that's not a fluke. That's not like a, a base attack anomaly where guy just had a good year. That's what Brian Tuo does. He takes a lot of runs, gets a lot of tackle breaks, and he scores a lot of tries. And it, very different physiques, but to me, he's very, very similar to a Daniel Tupo. Um, but he comes in the 2021 season much cheaper than a Tupo at 520k. Uh, and if you're going to, you know, uh, he is someone on a, a bit of a Tupo trajectory, you know, where Tupo really busted out last year, scored um, in the 70s on his average, can't buy him this year. Tuo could be that type of player because he's got the same type of skill set for Supercoach. I could definitely see him mid-60s at the least this year. Uh, and that's why I think if you're going to have a foundational anchor in your centre wing, one guy that you're going to spend on, I've said before, it's Holmes for me if he's goal-kicking and fullback, but Brian Tuo, uh, he could be another option as well, I reckon. Mate, I, I love Brian Tuo. I think he's uh, one of the most exciting players in the NRL to watch. Um, I, I, I wrapped on this kid from day dot. I was a massive fan. I, I even loaded up on him for a few try-scorer bets in, early on in the piece because he, to me, is the, the new... Physic- like Physically, he's the new NRL winger. Yep. Um, you know, you look at the sides that have done well in the last couple of years, and they've had big wingers that are able to take the pressure off the fullback by taking those early hit-ups, right? And so last year, obviously, they had it with uh, Toto and Mansour. Now they've, they've replaced Mansour with Staines. The interesting thing about Toto is that he's, he has switched sides. So whether that does cause an impact or not to his performance, I don't think so. If anything, I think it actually gives him more of a chance with Luai throwing those... You know, Luai likes to throw those loopy cutout balls? Yeah. Yeah, I think that Tyro could probably get on the end of a few of those and potentially score a, a really large amount of tries for Penrith this year. So, um, yeah, and, and being able to take those first couple of hit-ups in, that, in the set after the, the long kick, having a guy like him, he's going to be able to make those post-contact metres to turn that 8-metre run into a 10-metre run. He's going to be able to get the offload that, you know, gets you those extra two or three points, and that's... That's his big variance for 2021 for me. I'm all over him. I was looking at Nofaluma as my sort of pod centre. And by pod, I mean just the guy that I'm going to spend the money on. But I've gone off Nofaluma just because of the, the Tigers attack, and I really do think that Toto is my guy. Yeah, like, if you if you like what a Nofaluma or a Daniel Tupo does, um, yep. to- Toto is a, a cut-price option, really, isn't he? Like, he's, he's got the same type of potential ceiling. Um, and he does similar stuff. He's just a bit younger, so he just hasn't quite got the yet. But this might be the year that he does. And then you're, you're spending 100 to 150k less, and you're, you're going to get what you wanted out of a Nofo or a, a Daniel Tupo. Yeah, I, I can't recommend picking up this guy enough. I think from round one, when they've, when they've got these a uh, couple of relatively soft games, and you've got the ability to drop him without losing any money if he doesn't perform, I think he's a really good pickup. Yeah, I do too. He's a consideration for me, uh, and he's going to be a pod. If you're talking about wanting consistency in your centre wing and why you've got like a yo or other forwards that you throw in there when they're duels, 54% of the time, Brian Tuo went 60-plus. Now, 60-60 gun is something that gets thrown around a little bit. It's a term that Perso came up with. Shout out to him because no one ever gives him credit for that one. But, um, <laughs> nice one, Perso. But, um, you know, a lot of the time that's reserved for forwards on that list. Now, Brian Toe is obviously 6% off doing that, but 54% of the time as a winger going 60-plus is big. And he just has to improve that a little bit more, and he's a 60-60 gun. 60% of the time he's going 60-plus. 
he's almost as close as he can get to having a forward in your centre wing without actually having any forwards available to put there. So I, I reckon that you should definitely consider him. Um, I don't see things like his scoring or, or tackle breaks or anything going down. To your point, Tom, as far as uh, being on that Lua side, I will say one of the only things that was an issue on that side is when um, Crichton got the ball, he wasn't much of a passer. And yeah, true. He... I know that like everyone would know because every time that Billy was on last year, he was screaming because um, he owned Mansour and Mansour couldn't get any ball from, from Crichton. And there was times when it was an overlap and Crichton would still run and blah, blah, blah. Everybody's heard it. One of the things, though, that uh, Mansour didn't do well is he's a bit slow and his positioning wasn't the best. And there was times when I've mentioned, you know, he he got one of those looping balls or cutouts from Luai and he was 10 metres out and he got five metres before the line and got pulled up or had to reach back for the ball and different things like that. Someone like yeah, Toa... You don't get that. No, nah, you're not going to get that from Toa. So, I mean, he's going to convert those opportunities. And one thing I also like about Toa, and I know it's still, you know, six weeks out from the start of the season, whatever it is, but he's currently only a 4% ownership, uh, which I think is criminal compared to uh, some of the other guys that are available. So... You can leave him there. Forget about selling him because he's going to play round 13 as well. So just leave him there. You know, you have him round one as one of your set and forget center wings. Makes it a lot easier. Let's talk about some uh, mids and cheapies, though. There's only a couple, and then we're done with the Penrith Panthers. Charlie Staines is one, uh, and he's going to be on the other wing. So Staines is a bit of a tough one. Now, he's really, really popular in Supercoach because he's got a heavy discount because averaged 112 points a game last year, but he only played the two games. So this will five tries in a game too. So I mean, you can't. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the tough thing about him. Oh look, I, I'm going to go out. One of my big calls for the Penrith Panthers team here is going to be I'm not going to own Charlie Staines to start with. I've had a look at the numbers and stuff, and I just think it's way too much of an unknown. Uh, he's very, very popular, which makes me even think that's a, a bit of a blessing that I'm not on him because I think a few people could get burned. Um, he. Look, he, he looked okay. Um, he obviously finished some tries really well, and you've got to have some talent to score a lot of tries to start with. Um, one of your South boys, Alex Johnson, rings to mind as someone who can go on and score five tries, but also still score 20 points for two weeks straight after that, you know, when he was a young kid. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he can do that. So, I mean, Charlie Staines kind of, you know, strikes me as someone who could do that. And if that happens, because he's still got a 297 price tag, you know, I initially thought before the prices and stuff came out, I was hoping he's going to be 220 to 250, but I actually made some comments that if he's sub 300, he's going to be an option. Now, look, I'm not going to say he's not an option, but it's getting towards that point where he's just too expensive for me. When you look at his two games, um, <laughs> as Tom said, you know, he had five tries and uh, I think he had seven tries between his two games. Or it might have been six. Uh, no, he scored a double that second game as well. You know, yeah. he's, he scored 158 points with five tries and 66 points with a double. Um, that is massive. Like, his base stats were only 18. There's going to be plenty of times that Charlie Staines is going to be scoring a try and he's going to give you that, you know, 18 to 24 points and that's going to be his range. And that's at 300k, um, that's going to be a slow burn. He might even lose money for a few weeks and then make you the money back and then make you 100 grand. So you could be waiting a while. If he comes out and scores a couple of doubles, look, you know, maybe you'll make the 100 grand in a few weeks and, you know, it's all fine. But it's with certain coaches, all the law of averages and looking at the numbers, and there just isn't enough sample to say that Staines is worth that 300k for me when there is a lot of other options 
So I'm actually going to be doing a pass on stains. I don't blame anyone for going there. I would just say you probably want to be a bit wary because of the fall that he's got. Um, and unlike guys like Tuo and Edwards in that side, he doesn't. he's not going to take a heap amount of runs because Tuo and Edwards are going to take them all. And he's only a small winger. He's not going to be taking a heap of hit-ups. Uh, Alex Johnston-esque for me. Yep. I can't, once again, I can't argue with him. We're sort of agreeing way too much on this side. Um, but to your point where he's going to be quite popular, he is the most owned CTW uh, at the moment at 53%. Wow, I didn't think he was that high. That's huge. Yeah, so one in every two teams is going to have Charlie Staines, and, and I, I honestly think he's a bust, man. Like, yeah, as you said, he's not going to score five tries every game. He's not going to score two tries every game. He's going to have those games where he scores you a 30 or a 20. Uh, we've, we've all been burnt by these hyped-up wingers, Anthony Don, I'm talking about you, that have come back and, and haven't done you know, what we expected them to. And I, I just, I think at 297, would you be tempted to go Charlie Staines or would you be, prefer to save 20K and look at James Roberts if he gets a starting spot at the Tigers? Yeah. Well, it's probably, like, I don't like Roberts either, but it's probably a pretty yeah, good comparison. Think, at least yeah. you know what Roberts is going to be capable of doing and, and have a bit more data on him. And once again, the benefit of Supercoach is that we've got three rounds to figure it out. And for those that have, Started with Staines, it's going to cost you a trade to get him out, but it's not the end of the world. Um, whereas, yeah, I just, for me personally, he was initially in my side. And the more I talk myself into Tuo, the more I talk myself out of Staines. Yep. Um, I'm out of Staines as well. Uh, this next guy, though, I've actually talked myself into a couple of times after thinking oh, that it was oh. a, a real bad call. Um, <laughs> Moses Leota. He's not someone that anyone's really looking at much. And I have to say, I'm a little bit intrigued. So he's a front row forward, which ticks a big box because we need some front row forwards that are going to score some decent points for a cheap cost. And he is going to be a cheap cost because he comes in at only 350k. Now, he only got 33 minutes a game uh, in 2020, and he scored 40 points a game across those 33 minutes. That's a pretty good PPM. Um, He's... So he's had a pretty good PPM pretty much his whole career. He's hit his mid-20s, which generally can take front rowers a little bit longer to kind of blossom and stuff. So I like the age that he's at. But James Tamau's obviously gone. He's going to be the guy that's probably going to be starting. And if he is, uh, becomes a little bit more interesting. Um, so it's a little bit hard because he's played, you know, very consistent games, but all pretty low minutes. So what I did to drill down the numbers, Tommy, I had a look at his matches that were 38-plus minutes. So that's only five minutes more than what he averaged for the season. Um, and two of those six were actually in the 40s in his minutes, um, but none of them were any higher than that. And across those five 38-plus minute games, he managed to average 47.5 points, still a good PPM, um, and that's only, you know, on average about seven minutes more than what he's... Uh, actual PPM was at um, before. So, I mean, look, what it comes down to is can he, uh, can he get an extra 10 minutes a game? Um, he was only doing 33 minutes a game before. He's going to be the starter. You'd surely think that he's going to get an extra 10 minutes a game and get to 43. That's going to be an extra 10 points on what his average is priced at, um, and it's going to give you a score around 50-ish. So all of a sudden when you start to do the maths on it, you know, it seems pretty hard for him not to be 10 points unders at 350k in a bit of a tough position where you kind of just want to plug one guy in as your second front row forward to give you 50-odd points 
Um, you know, I, I'm actually starting to see some appeal, and he does hit the eye test for me. Now, I thought he was really good off the bench some games last year. Uh, I'm pretty excited for him to, to get the opportunity. There is a chance that he ends up getting, you know, 50 minutes, because we spoke about what that bench might be made up of. You know, if it's Tyrone May uh, and Capewell and Linu, who's, you know, a small minute middle forward, and Eisenhuth, he's... He could get 50 minutes a game and be seven, you know, 17 minutes a game better off and 17 points a game better off than what he was in 2020. So the maths just makes too much sense to me, mate. Um, but it is a bit of a smoky because absolutely no one's talking about him, it looks like. Well, the worry for me is Eisenhuth on the bench. Um, and the, the, the problem with Leota is that, yeah, you're right. There's this very little data to sort of take as far as how much impact he has on the game now with with the game speeding up the way that it is is there going to be the minutes there for him and for, with Eisenhuth on the bench I'm not entirely sure because they're going to run with one or the other I, I just I can't lean I can't lean either way on him I'm, I'm seesawing on my opinion of him but I don't think that I'm very hyped on the dude yeah, I'm going to consider him. Um, you know, obviously with more news that's come out about the Broncos rotation, Lodge looks like he's going to be a no-go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he's someone sort of around that type of price point that we're kind of hoping for. There's a few other guys as well. Um, but one of the things that I'll say, look, if that's the makeup of the bench, um, you know, what it does mean is based on James Fisher-Harris's playing time, they're going to have 100 minutes to divvy up between Leota and two bench middles. You know, so, I mean, for him to get 10 minutes extra a game, it's only 43 of those 100 minutes. That's true, yeah. Um, so say, I mean, like, you know, Eisenhuth gets 35 to 40, you know, the last stringer gets 20 to 25, that still leaves around, you know, the mid-40s minutes potentially for Leota. So, I mean, I think the thing that saves Leota and makes him a really good option to consider is he only played 33 minutes a game, and as a starter, it's, it's virtually impossible for him not to eclipse that um, pretty reasonably, you'd think. Yeah, as a, if he's starting, he's definitely worth an absolute crack at because the other thing you got to remember is that there was a lot of injuries last year, especially in front of the rowers, and there's every chance that that 30 or 40 minutes may turn into 50 or 60, depending on where the players go down and things like that. And especially if, if teams are going to start carrying an extra back on the bench, which I've heard a lot of teams are looking at, um, he could definitely be a, an absolute shot. Yeah, uh, definitely have a look at him and consider. Have a look it's at CLT. Tough though, man. I, 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 yeah, it's tough. Well, I think that all. I think the thing too is that all those front row forward guys that are sort of you know two eighty to three fifty k range, none of them are sure things. So yeah. yeah, it's one of the things that I kind of thought about with Leota was um, I really like the look of him. I think that he's a really good player, and there was times you know in the last couple of seasons where there's been games where I thought he was the best middle forward. So I, I think he really passes the eye test. That's one thing. The other thing too is that Penrith are a really good team. So, you know, I think it might put him ahead of some of the other options potentially. I'm going to consider it. Um, I've just realised, Tommy, that we've left off one of uh, the, the best rising guns in the Panthers side. So we're going to have to finish yeah. off. Yeah, we're going to have to finish off on Stephen Crichton because if we don't yeah. talk about him, everyone's going to go crazy. Um <laughs> Bought him last year, and I was I was pretty happy with it because I bought him at a, a pretty cheap price, um, and I banked on him being able to keep scoring tries, and he kept scoring tries. So, you know, for what I bought him at, which I think was around sub 400, um, I was reasonably happy with. He's coming in at 485k though, off a of 55 points per game average. Now, 
he's definitely a rising gun. He definitely passes the eye test as far as his, uh, his attacking flair that he has. But uh, 13 of his 19 games, he actually scored a try. And that's where he maintained his value. Even in some of those try-scoring games, he didn't have some huge games. He only had the one ton as well. But like many centre wings, um, he's likely 40s without a try. He can be even less without a try, though. He's backup kicker, so that's always nice. He had a few kicks at goal last year. But, you know, base of 24, um, not really loving it as far as the raw base. You're really banking on him to score some tries. So he, he might come out and um, put a couple on the Cowboys and a couple on the Doggies. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. The problem is that uh, week to week it could be a tough proposition. So he's one of those true fluctuating centre wings. Despite how much he's improved, his work rate isn't huge. He might come out this year and improve his game out of sight and then he becomes one of those top centre wings potentially. Could see that happening. Um, I'm going to want to wait and see because if it doesn't, he's going to be one of the quintessential fluctuating centre wings that you wait wait to drop 100 grand, get below 400, which is what I did last year, and then just jump on him and hope for a try-scoring run. Well, the problem with the this Panther side is that there's so many options, and if you're picking up Staines and Toto, do you really pick up Crichton? You can't pick up Crichton. You just can't rely that heavily on them, and especially then you got to look at most tides are going to have Cleary. Like, on the stats that we've got available to us now, 50% of sides have got Staines, and the same 50% have probably got Cleary as well. And then, you know... Someone like Crichton, it, it probably just doesn't fit into your team purely on a, a mix-and-match basis. Like, if you have the entire Panthers backline in your side and they have a bad game, it's, it's game over. So, I like Crichton. I think that, uh, you know, the fact that he fails to pass the ball 90% of the time is fantastic for him. But the, the, the amount of tries that it took to, for him to get that average is just a bit of a worry to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's move on to the Dragons, because we want the Dragon supporters to get a bit of love. Now They're going to need it. Well, it does look that way, unfortunately, for them. <laughs> Obviously, McInnes is gone, so that's a big blow for them. Uh, it is a big blow for super coaches as well, because it does mean that a pretty oh. popular option is gone. It, it kills me, because I, I didn't own McInnes, and I wasn't going to. Um, and it annoys me that those McInnes people are going to jump off and jump onto a Madison or an Angus and sort of pump up their, their ownership. That's the thing that annoys me most about it. From Mate, you, you and I have dead set got the same team, because that was my thing as well, is that I've never had McGuinness. I've never ran with him. But, yeah, he was one of those guys this year where I was glad everyone was jumping all over him, because I'm like, have him. I, I think he was an he's an unhappy guy in a team that is an absolute band, uh, shambles. For everyone to be now looking elsewhere, I'm like, damn it. That was my dude. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's really annoying with the high ownership guys when there's something that happens to them because you've got such a huge amount of the super coach community that are now looking and shopping for a player in that position. So if you've got some pods or some guys that aren't that heavily owned that you know are going to go as well, yeah, it's just it's a disaster. But he's gone. Um, as far as the Dragons, losses go with everyone else that's gone. Ewan Aitken's left for the Warriors. Frizzell's gone and the Knights. James Graham retired. Host has gone. Lafayette released, Isaac Luke gone mid-season, Saab gone, uh, Sailor released, and, and Corbin Sims gone. Lost a fair few first graders there, um, and a couple of interesting prospects. As far as what they brought in, Daniel Obaro's decent depth, and then they've got Jack Bird, uh, the project Jack Bird these days, I guess it, it is. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting player, that guy. He's had a weird career. 
and Pharmacilia, I really like that. We obviously loaned to the Warriors and then released to some of the Dragons. He's it, but he's like a bench forward, really. And, and Andrew McCulloch now is, is going to have a crack at starting at nine. I, I think they've lost more than what they've gained. You mentioned the wooden spoon. I, I'm not going to be as certain about that, but I think that they're a bottom four side. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and you're right. I've, I've got them in pencil as a wooden spoon candidate only because I just look at this side and I struggle to see where the points are going to come from. They have got the best spine since 2013. That's it. That's all they've got. They've got no real attacking nous in the back line at all. Losing Tim Lafay is actually a decent loss for a side this bad. And he's only been picked up to play Reggie's for Parramatta. So, yeah, they're... Like, if it was 2013 and they had their spine, I'd be like, you guys are going to crush it. But looking at it, no. No, and look, they, they play the first buy, um, and that's there's going to be some value there. Um, and, like, so even some guys that, you know, we're not going to talk about that you can jump on for a run, like a, a cheap Ravalawa to play the Broncos in round 13 or something. That's when some of these guys are going to become effectively relevant. Um, but when you're looking at the draw for the rest of it, I don't even know how relevant it is for the Dragons because, you know, they... That's decent. You know, they've got the Sharks, the Cowboys. Yeah, not, not bad. It's yeah. Not great. It's, it starts pretty well. Like, Sharks and Cowboys is pretty good for them. Um, Eagles, Knights, Para, uh, Warriors. The Roosters, they then hit in round seven, which is the first top four potential type of side that they're going to hit. And they've got the Tigers, Bulldogs, Storm, Sharks, Tigers, Broncos. So I would actually say that they've got a good draw. Um, I, you know, they play... Sides like the Tigers, they play um, a couple of times. Um, they've got the Bulldogs in there. They've got you know, pretty much most of it, the majority, is non-top eight teams that they're playing in that first 13 games. It's a it's a good draw. But when you look at the Dragons side, like you said, are they the sort of side that's going to take advantage of a good draw if they're one of the worst teams in the comp, potentially? If they do play like one of the worst teams in the comp, it's not going to matter what their draw is, really. So I'm not really taking into account too much. Yeah, totally agree. I think that this this side's actually going to struggle to win a handful of games this year. I think it's it's going to be very messy under a new coach, and with everything that sort of went on with McGuinness, losing him is going to create another big vortex there. I just, yeah, I, I really struggle to see this team beating, like we're, we're putting them against any other team in the comp, I reckon they're 50-50 at best. Yeah. Well, let's have a, a little bit of a positive look for some Dragons fans on what they do have going for them. <laughs> let's start off with the guns. So I'm only going to talk about one gun, and that is Lomax. So complete bright spot for the Dragons. 605k he comes in at, but he was the fourth best centre winger 2020. Had a base of 33, which was near the top of the non-forward centre wings, uh, plus his goal kicking gave him a good 40s floor. Uh, and they only had two scores... Out of 20 games where he was actually below 40. So, as far as good floor goes, uh, he's phenomenal. We talked about Brian Tuo maybe getting into that 60-60 club as a centre wing. This guy was already there. 60-plus games in exactly 60% of his matches. Um, that's for, that's forward-like. And his first five-round average, you know, it's it really he really built off it as far as his season, you know. If you're, if you're looking at glass half empty and why maybe you don't want to start with him, aside from a high price tag for a centre wing, which is a bit of a no-no at 605k, he started last year, he had uh, a five-round average of just below 50. Now, he was still fighting his feet in first grade and everything. He was shafted in a couple of different positions and stuff, but 
if that kind of happens, and I do think the Dragons could start off worse than what they started before, um, if that happens, then you've paid 605k for a guy, not a very good attacking side that you know isn't taking many kicks at goal anyway, and is maybe going to struggle at the start of the season anyway to replicate things. So that's the glass half empty approach. The glass half full is look, he's probably the one bright spot in the Dragons back line. He's the goal kicker. Um, and he still managed good scores in a bad dragon side last year. Maybe he is someone who does take advantage of the draw since he is converting the goals. And if they are going to score tries, he's a decent shot at being a part of it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm not buying him at all. There's no chance. But if he was a bit cheaper, I could understand people looking at him. Yeah, I think you're right in that. Um, yeah, we've, we've got to show a bit of positivity for the Dragons fans that are listening because, you know, there's, it's, it's going to be a bit of a tough year, I think. And, um, like if, if there is a bright spot anyway, it is definitely going to be Zach Lomax. And now he was he came in last year at I think it was about three hundred twenty grand, so he, he doubled in value over the course of twelve months, um, you know, the season, whatever. I think if if you if you're a Dragons fan and you're looking to get someone from your team into your side, which I know a lot of people like to do, I think Lomax is the right guy to get. You know, it's very expensive, but you can make sacrifices elsewhere. And I don't think anyone would blame you. And I think. When it comes down to guys like Teddy, or I think a lot of people are going to run that Teddy-Tom Turbo combination. If you can come up against someone with Tom Turbo with Zach Lomax, whilst you're probably not favourite going into the game, if, if Tom Turbo you know, bombs out, you've actually got a really good opportunity to get a head-to-head win there. So, look, that's, that's the only positive thing I can say about this Dragon side is that Zach Lomax is an absolute star. But for me, I'm just the same as you. He's not going to be in my team. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard to see what to make of the Dragons' attack and how it's going to go. If it does fire and we are wrong, um, Lomax will, will go well. Um, it's just a matter of whether it does. The, I guess the the bright spot, if you do decide to start with him, maybe you're a Dragons fan or maybe you're a Lomax believer, is he's not going to give you poor scores. You know, again, he only had two that were below 40s out of 20 games. You're going to get good scores. Um, it just might not be some super high ones that maybe some of the other center wings will give you to start the year, and it's maybe going to be a bit expensive at 605k, but he's definitely an option. He's definitely someone that should be considered because he was the fourth best option for the 2020 season. Fallen guns. There's a few in this side, but some of them have fallen for so many years that they're, they no longer can be <laughs> talked about. But they're off the page. <laughs> having said that, Paul Vaughan um, isn't that much of a fall from grace. In 2020, he scored 58 points a game. In 2019, he was 60 points a game. Um, but you know, the year before, he was 53 points a game. And the year before that, he had his big 68 points a game. So this guy seems to have a pattern of every second you're getting back to gun status. That would put him in 2021 as a gun. But whether he gets there or not, hard to say. But one of the um, numbers that I like to look of is when you look at his try scored, it is something that he's managed to build some good scores on in the past. Now, in 2020, he scored zero tries. That's not something he's done before. When you look at the two years before, he only scored two tries a game. But that two tries makes a big difference, you know, because you're talking about line breaks and tackle breaks when he scores those. And that's an extra few points a game right there. So that brings him up to a 61, 62 point average, just if he had those couple of tries that he did the, the two years before. Um, and that's in season, you know, 2019 and 18. 2017, he actually scored eight tries. Um, and that was, that was huge. And that was a big reason why he scored 68 points a game. That's a big strike rate for a, a front row forward. Everyone said that he wasn't going to go back that up and he couldn't. But even just scoring a couple of tries, you know, last year, um, would have bring him, brought him up to, you know, 62. 
odd points. So there is maybe a bit of upside there. The other thing that I sort of was looking at with Vaughan is one, you know, he's coming in around 500k, 513k exactly. So he's not hugely expensive if you need a front row forward and you're on a bit of a budget. And he is someone who does have a really solid base. So 55 base is why he still scores well with pretty much zero attack. And if you can have those few tries in there, you know, all of a sudden you're in business and you've got a week-to-week prospect of a guy that's not going to score really badly. 500k is still a fair bit to to pay, though. He has only played 50 minutes a game in 2020, 52 minutes a game in 2019, and before that he was playing in the 40s. So the big question, I think, with Vaughty is I think that he is going to go across for some attack because you can't go two years in a row with a guy like him and not get any, even in the Dragons side. But the bigger question is, how does uh, Hook see him? You know, new coach coming in. Is he going to see probably his his best middle forward now with McGuinness not there in the 13 jersey and some rookies and some young guys there and maybe a curve starting a prop? You know, is Vaughan going to be that forward leader where it's going to be, you know, and Hook's liked this before, where he likes his forwards to be leaders and big minute guys as well when they are. Is it going to be that he goes for 50 to 56, 57, 58 minutes? And then all of a sudden, you, you might have a 2017 vintage Paul Bourne. Yeah, I, I honestly think he's going to take a very strong leadership role. Obviously, losing Frizz and with um, McGuinness getting injured, someone's got to take up that forward sort of boss position. And I don't know I don't know if the Dragons have even named a captain for, round, well, for the season yet now, but... Vaughan could potentially fall into that role. Um, and if, if that's the case, then, yeah, I think he gets more minutes and then he becomes something to, to look at. At this stage, for me, he's not something that I'd, I'd look at, but, yeah, he, he could be the guy. Yeah, he could be. I'm going to be watching really closely the first couple of rounds. Um, and if he's doing sort of 55 or 60 minutes, uh, I'm, I'm going to be looking at him as one of my sort of front row forward guys I can bring in if someone else doesn't work out. Because he, he's got the potential to be a, a decent cut price gun anyway. Um, and the way Hook uses his, his big forwards, he, he might be in for a decent season, a bit of a throwback. I don't expect 68 points a game from 2017. Uh, he could easily do sort of 64, 65, and that's pretty valuable in the front row forward spot. So not a round one for me at all, Tommy, but definitely no, no, a, a watch. Definitely a watch. But a bit of breaking news, he has not been named captain, and Ben Hunt has been named the Dragons captain. Uh, so... Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it could have been him. It could have been Tarek as another option. I don't know. Like, Vaughan comes down to minutes. He's someone to, to keep an eye on. And for us draft people, definitely someone to keep an eye on in the later rounds. So, Yeah, I think you'll get really good draft value for Vaughan. Um, and I think yeah. that he'll be more truly worth it because there's hardly anything in front row forward as far as depth in the well, draft. Well, hopefully Dan's fallen asleep by now and isn't looking at the uh, the guys that I'm talking about picking up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about... Uh, I mean, you mentioned Hunt, so let's just go straight to them. You know, as far as mistakes in Supercoach for 2021, picking Ben Hunt or Corey Norman is going to be a mistake. They've got a plum draw, but they're just so frustrating. I, I'm only going to go through the numbers for Hunt because he is someone that a few people have looked at. And, you know, for, I understand why, because, you know, Hunt's been someone that's been a good half before. He's paid a million bucks to beat the Dragons, so he really should stand up. He did have his moments last year as well, but more importantly, he's a halfback hooker, dual position player, and he's only 450k. So when we're talking about, you know, in the halves and in hooker positions, only being really those elite guys at the top um, that you can choose from, and then you're kind of looking at, 
So guys that aren't really worth the money, potentially. He's on, he, Ben Hunt's a budget guy that sort of pops up when you're searching everyone. So I understand why people have sort of had a bit of a geese at him. But when you have a look at his numbers, you want him if he's starting at nine. Because he had eight games starting at nine in 2020. And he averaged 60 with those eight games. So, I mean, at hooker, if he was a nine, he'd actually be a really good option, I reckon, as a bit of an under-the-radar. But as a starting half... His numbers are actually only 43 points per game, which is abysmal. And you know, with how he's been playing and how the Dragons look, you, you could have gone near, near him at 450. But I will say, you know, it's going to be a huge mistake to throw him in your side. But if he was a 9, I actually reckon I, I would have looked at him a bit more than what I would have liked to have admitted. Yeah, and I think that's the benefit of uh, shows like this, is that people that listen will understand that you, know, you do have that variance between positions, whereas your casuals that pick their side aren't really going to have that opportunity to say, okay, well, Ben Hunt kind of had half the average score when he was playing at halfback. He's a huge mistake getting him in your side at, as as a half, but if for whatever reason McCulloch goes down early on in the piece, he's someone to look at a hooker for sure. I actually really like this next guy. So, you know, this is a bit of a positive one. Big balls pod. Um, and some people are going to say, who? And, you know, it's fine, but Blake Laurie, very quietly, is quite a good player and quite a good super coach player. And we spoke about McInnes going down. A lot of NRL and also super coach is just about opportunity. You know, and if you can get the opportunity and you're good enough, you know, you can produce, you can produce super coach points for sure. And Blake Laurie is a guy now that is possibly going to be the starting 13. Uh, and if he is, he could be a bit of a pod. So, in the 2020 season, he had a raw base of 53 points, uh, which is pretty phenomenal. His average was actually 52 points a game. So basically, he's, he's a base-only type of guy. He's got no attack in him at all. Didn't score any tries and played the full 20-game slate for the season. Um, but the impressive thing for me is that he did 52 points a game in only 46 minutes in 2020. And in 2019, when he um, also played almost a full season, he was doing a 48 score in only 44 minutes a game. So that PPM for his whole career has always been above one. And it doesn't really fluctuate too much either if he plays the bigger minutes. Especially with McInnes going down now. If Hook wants to look at a big minute 13, or at least, you know, a reasonable minute 13, like, he's got to get an extra 10 minutes a game. Like 46 minutes a game in 2020, that's got to go to 56. It could even go to 60. And he does have the motor where he's capable of doing it. If he goes just that 10 that 10 minutes, though, if he's a starting 13, you've got a guy that's going to be averaging 60s. Um, and he's coming in at a 52 price point, and he's a guy that's a front-row forward. So, again, we spoke about those budget front-row forwards. We spoke about Leota maybe being value. This guy's already priced at a 52 average, but if he gets jersey 13, there's big opportunity for him to hit 60s, and he should do it pretty easily because he's just a base beast. If he plays extra minutes, he's just going to get it through work rate in the super coach points. It's really that simple for me. So... That's why I'm a little bit interested in him as a bit of a big balls pod. He's not really going to score me any, you know, 90s and 100s, but 450-odd K as a front row forward that's possibly going to give me 60s. That's that's pretty reasonable to have a look at, I reckon. Well, what, one interesting point about him is that not one game last year... Oh, sorry, it was. It was one game last year where he averaged less than one point per minute. He only played three games of 60 minutes or more, but in every single one of those... He, he was there. He was scoring at a point per minute. So if he can get a little bit extra time, and, and not only that, but the longer that the game seemed to go on, the more he seems to score. So 
uh, his points per minute average goes up uh, the more that he plays, which is, you know, comparative to a lot of other forwards that seem to go down if they play a longer period of time. I actually don't mind this guy as an option. Yeah, he's been around for a few years too. Like, I mean, we've got four years of data now to say he's a one PPM plus guy. Um, and he's also a guy that I think a lot of people kind of, especially casual fans, will throw into that bucket of, oh, he's one of these young sort of, you know, half a dozen eight Dragons players that might be playing in the forwards type of thing and kind of dismiss him a little bit. But he's actually one of the, not senior guys, but more senior than probably half of their forwards that they're going to have. You know, they're going to have some kids coming onto that bench. They're going to have guys like Jackson Ford that we're going to talk about probably starting on an edge. Um, and they're probably going to have, you know, a, a youngish sort of Steve Kerr, uh, Steve Kerr, got the Warriors confused. <laughs> a, a youngish, a youngish Kerr, uh, at prop forward as well. And, you know, it, that becomes a point where there's only a couple of guys with more experience than Blake Laurie in that forward pack. So you talk about forward leaders like Vaughan and stuff, he's kind of going to almost be there himself. I tend to agree. I think that, yeah, especially, yeah, as you said, with, with all those young, young fellas coming through, he's going to be out to set an example. And usually when, and, and Hook's notorious for this, is that he'll find uh, a core group of forwards and he will play them to death because he's a bit scared of giving the young blokes a full shot. So... I must admit, Laurie wasn't on my radar at all, and now I'm looking really heavily at him. Yeah, and look, I said front row forward, but he's actually dual two, so you're not yeah, going to... That, that definitely helps. You're not going to put him at second row forward, but if you can put him at front row forward and then be able to move him around when you need to, like that's a big plus, and that's something Leota doesn't have um, either. So I, I like the look of Laurie. I'm going to watch him in the trials, and I'm going to see if he nabs that 13 jersey. He's probably a little bit too expensive with the other options that are available, but... He's worth a shout-out if you need some budget front-row forward options, I reckon. As far as mids and cheapies go, now, I'm just going to say Max Fiagai, and I'll probably pronounce that wrong, so I apologise, is going to be a, a, a budget-priced rookie. So, I mean, if he gets a starting spot in the centres, which he may do, then he's just straight in. Um, that's pretty simple. He doesn't. He's going to be debuting. We don't really have any numbers on him. But his next guy, we do have some numbers on. And... He smells very much like a Charlie Staines to me, and that is Cody Ramsey. Another very, very popular super coach option at the moment for the center wing spot, and another guy that's very, very similar to our mate Charlie Staines that we just discussed. So, I mean, he ended up averaging 50 points a game, but he did that only playing three games in 2020, and he comes in at a 354000 price tag, so uh, almost 60k more than Staines. He's... In a lot of sides, and I'm kind of struggling to see why. Um, so, you know, his debut game against Canberra was great. He saw his mum in the stands clapping when he was scoring his tries and stuff, and he got a double. Fantastic to see in the rugby league community. But he followed that 78-point game up with a 35 and a 37. His base was 17 in those three games. Um, yeah, so he's not he's not a big winger. Like, the reason why he hasn't played earlier... And people were asking that, you know, he came in at the, when they played the nines last and he, he carved up the nines and people were like, who is this kid? Why isn't he playing? It's because he was too small and they put a bit of work in to put some weight on him. I think he got six or seven kilos on him before he debuted and he's still not a big, a big winger and he's playing in a side that's not going to score a lot of points. So you can see that if he doesn't score points, he's not going to score well at all. And at 350k, he could go backwards before he goes forwards. So. I'm, I'm not a fan of getting Cody Ramsey in at all. Um, and also, like Tommy pointed out a bit earlier, you know, Hook's not a guy with a lot of patience sometimes with the young fellas. And there is some other guys that could come in and play instead of him too. So, 
yeah, I, I really don't like Ramsey as a round one option. I think the only reason people probably looking at him um, is that there's not a lot of depth in these uh, Dragons' backs, and so he's probably one of the more experienced rookies, if that makes sense. I just think that, yeah, you know, when you've got many, many options, I, I just don't see this kid... But, like, I, I mentioned it with Penrith before, that I like wingers that will take that hit up off the back of a set, and he's not the guy to do it. He's too small. Um, the game's sort of shifting away for me from... Uh, these smaller, speedier wingers to your sort of bigger, less fast, but still, you know, able to bust a few tackles here and there. And to me, Cody Ramsey just doesn't look like the kid that can do it. No, uh, he's a stay away from me. If he ends up like, killing it, you're going to have someone that goes down or something in the first couple of rounds. Just just downgrade someone to him and make them make the quick cash if he's got a negative break even. But he's just going to have to hit a heap of tries to start with for you even to, to look at doing that. So watch and see. I wouldn't get in for round one at all. But well, he comes in at a forty-point break-even as is, I think. So yeah, he, um, he'll lose money more. I think so. So the next guy that we'll talk about for the mids and cheapies is also very popular, and I understand a bit more why. And he's definitely more of an option, um, and that is young Ford. So Jackson Ford comes in and likely going to be on the edge. He's going to come in at a three hundred sixty-one k price point as a second-row Ford. So he's one of those guys that you can chuck on your bench. 54.5 points across four starting 13 games and did that in 62 minutes a game. When you're looking at his starting edge games, he only scored 30 as a starting edge in his only starting 2020 game. That's not great. Um, but if you have a look in 2019, he also had one starting edge game there where he only scored 37 in his 80 minutes as a starting edge. So his edge games are a small sample size but they are a sample size of absolute dirt, of basically 35 points <laughs> in 80 minutes. It's, I thought we were trying to be positive for Dragons fans here. I will say that I really like him as a player. Like I think Jackson Ford is a, a really good prospect. They've they've really tried to keep him the last couple of years. Other clubs have been interested. I think he was going to leave as well, but they came to the table with the contract. I think he's a good player, but for Supercoach... It is a small sample size. He probably will do better than that. But I think that we've seen, even just from those couple games, that Mossy's not going to score 35 points in 80 minutes on an edge consistently. It might only be 45 points. Um, and at sort of 360-odd K, I don't think that's worth it in the second-row forward spot because there's probably a lot of other options as well. Um, if he was the starting 13, I think that he's a lot better option and he obviously scored a lot better as a, as a 13 when he started his eight games there. But on an edge, um, he just doesn't seem to have the points in him or the work rate. So I'm staying away from him. Um, if he looks fantastic, then maybe I'll downgrade someone that doesn't work out or gets injured. But for round one, I just think he's too pricey and there isn't any numbers there to suggest that he's really going to bust out enough. Yeah, for me, he ticks zero boxes. Um, his price point seems way too high. I think He's currently owned by 5% of the teams, and I think a lot of those 5% probably bought him in after McGuinness went down. And as soon as they realise that he's not going to be taking that 13 jersey, I think he's, he's straight out. Don't see any appeal for him in that role. Maybe, as you said, if, if he gets the jersey later on and starts to improve, potentially. And for me, I think the only reason you pick him up is later on when he drops from 360 down to 300. Uh, or to three 320 around that mark. Then he's potentially worth looking at if the numbers are right. But there's a, there's a lot of variables that have to go in his favour that I just don't see happening. Yep. 
Yeah, no, he's not in my round one side, and I um I think that a few people should probably be looking at some of the other options that might pop up. But Josh Kerr's a little bit more interesting. One of those props that's hit his mid twenties, which he was another one of those um, guys that sort of came into first grade. He was really highly touted. A lot of people said he was one of the best props coming through in years. Didn't really flourish, um, but some of that was because he didn't really get enough minutes. Um, but now, you know, he's hit his mid twenties. Twenty nineteen, he came onto the scene and he looked half decent. 2020, he had a much better season. So he was getting 35 minutes a game in 2020, up from his 23 in 2019. But in those 35 minutes, he scored 43 points a game. Now, that's a really good PPM of 1.22. Funny thing is that he did that in 20 games, so there's a lot of sample size. But even in his seven games in 2019, he managed to do a 1.23 PPM. So very appealing as far as his PPM goes. Um, And he comes into 2021 at a 377k price point. So very similar to the considerations of guys like uh, Leota that we mentioned. He is someone who is a front row forward, and he is someone that's a budget one that is probably going to be starting. Now, if he is starting, you would expect him to get more than 35 minutes a game. He's got a huge PPM that just projects straight out to, you know, 45 minutes a game equals... Uh, a huge amount of points uptick, probably an extra 14, 15 points a game if he maintains it. But if we're being conservative, Tommy, maybe his PPM drops and he just gets 10 extra a game. You've still got a front row forward that's 10 points unders that you can throw in there for prop and sort of away you go at 377k. So I can see the appeal with this guy, unlike Jackson Ford. Um, I think the minutes is the key, though. You know, is he going to play good minutes? Um, and is someone like, you know, Britain going to be on the bench to spell Macca? Or are they going to have like a four forward bench and is, is Hook going to be too scared to play these younger guys, you know, the bigger minutes? Yeah, he's, he's another tough one. And, and you know, we're, we're looking at these these Dragons players and every single one of them is a tough ask, you know. Does he get the minutes? Probably. And that's that's just looking at it. But you're right, if, if, if they do decide that they want to spell Macca, which is you know, another reason that guys like Billy Britton are absolute super coach poison, yeah, he, he could he could show some potential. I just, I'm, I'm struggling to look at this dragon side and see a single player that I will consider for the majority of the year unless they go berserk. Yeah, I'm the same. Like, it's, it's, it's a real bad mix of guys that are either overly priced or awkwardly priced to make enough money guaranteed early on. Um, and then there's a coach with an unknown rotation or thought process on how he's going to manage a game. It's, it's really tough. I will say though that, with these guys like, you know, a Josh Kerr, it's one of those things where somebody has to get those minutes. So a Laurie as well. You know, Laurie and Kerr are both really good examples of we say, off, oh, you know, if they get those minutes, but we're kind of worried. There's reason to be worried, but when you actually look at it logically, somebody has to play these minutes. You know, they don't have all of these forwards. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it seems like a very, very high percentage chance that Josh Kerr and Blake Laurie are playing more minutes. Um, and if that's the case... Josh Kerr, especially coming off 35 minutes a game, you know, he hits 45 minutes a game if he's a starting prop. I think that happens, and I think he's got a fair bit of potential. So he's another one on my long, short list of uh, front row four options that are in that same price point. <laughs> no, I think one one player that we haven't touched on with uh, the Dragons as well, just quickly, is that um, uh, Tyrell Sloan. Is it Tyrell? Tyrell? I don't know. Yeah, he's a winger coming through that he... I, 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 just, I wouldn't mind having him as a sneaky pickup late in the... Uh, in draft this year? Yeah, so, he, I mean, he's going to come in at base rookie price, never played a game before. You rate him to get a to get a bit of a shot, do you? I do, I really do. And I think that um, 
yeah, if you if you can if you can get him late or, or just just keep an eye out. Like, it's just my prediction for the year, but keep an eye out for this kid. If I think if he gets his debut, he may even get the uh, the wing spot over what's his name? Uh, over Ravalawa. Yeah. Oof, big call. Oh, I really like Ravalawa, but um, he does make some mistakes and get dropped occasionally, so it could happen. And, and once again, it's it's all going to come down to hook. Like Mary last year made a lot of decisions where he was very stubborn in who he kept on the field and who he didn't. And I don't think Hook's got the luxury of being able to do that this year. I think he's got to make some big changes early on. And if guys like Ravalar aren't performing, see you later and start bringing in these young fellas. Yep, okay. That's a really good tip. I I will say, too, that if that's the case, you know, Sloan is someone that if there isn't any rookie-priced guys to throw in for round one, uh, round 13, the Dragons actually play the first buy. So if you think by that point that he's going to get some opportunity or someone like Lomax is going to be in the origin team and they reshuffle that back line, um, yeah, you could just throw Sloan in now. And at worst, he's just one enough that you have in your 25 or he's a, he's a saver trade for a guy that could come on the scene and, uh, and blast it away and make a heap of cash. So maybe that's a, a strategy for young Sloan. See how we go. See, well, we, we could have this conversation next year when we don't even know who he is anymore. So <laughs> I'm just I'm not, I'm not putting the house on it, but I, I like this kid. I think he could go all right. All right. Well, let's finish off on um, on another guy that's sort of that mid range cashy area that a lot of people have been talking about, and that's Jack Bird. So oh, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and so many people know this, and say so I've I've not been a Jack Bird fan pretty much ever. Now, from a super coach perspective. It troubles me how many accolades and how much credit he gets for a guy that has really not been much of a gun um, and has been constantly injured. You know, he had one tearaway season when he first came onto the scene at the Sharks, and that often happens with guys where they tear it up and then can't back it up. And he's had a number of years now where he hasn't been able to back it up. And he hasn't really been able to fit a position very well either, and he still doesn't have a real position. And he's coming off zero games in 2020, nine games in 2019, eight games in 2018. I just would not go near him with the 10-foot pole, but a lot of people are talking about him, and there's been some suggestions on, uh, and even direct questions on, you know, will he start at 13? No, there is no chance he will start at 13. He's not going to go in and play big minutes at 13 either. Even if he did start at 13, I'm sure he's only going to play sub-50 minutes, and he can't be an option, but his fitness is going to be a huge concern. Mate, I'm pretty down on Jack Bird as an option, but... He's one of the very few dual center wing second rowers that's actually going to play. So I guess that's why people are looking at him. 380k to find out what he does. You know, he's probably going to be named on the bench. But even if he wasn't named on the bench, I just can't go, I just can't go near him. You know, his points, his games, everything's everywhere. And he, he might be almost done as a starting first grader at this point. Like, I don't want to be too harsh on him, but really, he hasn't shown much. Mate, I think if, if this was New South Wales Cup uh, supercoach, Jack Bird would be a potential purchase. <laughs> um, for me right now, the problem is that I just I don't know anything about Jack Bird anymore. I haven't seen him play consistently enough to gain an opinion of him other than, oh, that guy. Remember that year that he had with the Sharks? It was really, like, who cares about Jack Bird? I find it really difficult to get up for a player who, yeah, the only thing that's appealing about the fact that he's got dual status is the fact that I could probably nuff him out in a few weeks when he gets injured. Like, yeah, I, no, 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 just just no. Yeah. And, and and it's not, like, I see that he's owned by 17% of sides at the moment, which is a scary statistic. 
like if he doesn't even get if he doesn't get the starting spot, he shouldn't be in one point seven percent of sides. Like, it's just no appeal for the guy at all. No, there isn't. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that if he's starting, I still wouldn't put him in my centering. No, I'm the same, man. I, I just I don't. I don't see the appeal. His appeal is very romanticised in rugby league, but that was from you know five years ago when he had a half decent season. The Jack Bird from then compared to the Jack Bird now are two completely different players. He's bounced around like you, you can't call a bloke a journeyman when he's just been cut from every club he's played for. <laughs> like that's the other thing too. I mean the, the the Broncos who are struggling a little bit for some of their depth and stuff and really couldn't afford to sign anyone are paying half of his contract so he can go to the Dragons. Like, And that's a perfect indication as to how they expect him to play this year, and I, I can't fault that logic. Yeah, and look, none of this is like, for the for the original Sharkies fans or you know, for the Dragons fans, because you know, he's Dragons Jr. and everything else as well, yeah. and, and also for the Broncos fans that maybe fell in love with him for some reason. None of this is Jack Bird personally, Jack Bird the person, so don't, don't kill me after this when you listen to the podcast. As a player, I'm talking about, like, it's not his fault that he's gotten injured heaps. It's not his fault that he's just, he hasn't had the fitness there coming back from the injuries and stuff. It's a real shame because he came onto the scene and was really good, but he's caught the injuries and he now looks about 10 years older than what he really is. You know, and he's only 25, but he looks like he's in his mid thirties. So it's a shame for Jack personally, but from a Supercoach point of view, you've got to be ruthless. Like, he doesn't look like an option at all. Do not go near him. If for some reason he bucks every single trend in the history of bucking trends and becomes really good round one, just buy him before round three. It's going to be really easy to do, but you could not make the mistake of starting with him at 380k. He could be one of those guys where I invariably end up with egg on my face when I say he's the worst possible super coach prospect in that position and yada, yada, yada. And look, I, I hope he does prove me wrong because I actually, I liked the kid from the way when he was at the Sharks, he was, he was a very, very slick player that could have gone on to do a lot of good things, but injuries have just and 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 the shifting of clubs, the constant shifting of clubs with him has been a real bad influence on his game. And once again, I think with with Hooker's coach, and I've said it with every other player, he's a guy who's on the chopping block here. You know, if he if he performs really, really well, he'll be there all year. But if he has a couple of bad games, we'll never hear from Jack Bird again. Yeah, no, I agree. And look, I'm. As, as someone who's done their knee and shoulder, I can tell you they are the worst things to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a guy that's not been playing in the forwards in NRL, going into the forwards, uh, potentially a middle forward, um, if not an edge, and then having ACLs and shoulder reconstructions, it's the worst. Like, you cannot write a worse tale of a player that you'd jump on for super coach than what Jack Bird looks I'm not going to bash Jack Bird, the super coach player, anymore. We're going to finish on the Dragons on that note, though. Tommy, great to have you on, mate. Um, good that you've you've been off the podcasting for a couple of years, but hopefully <laughs> we'll we'll see you on Twitch pretty soon with Supercoach Rivals, and, and you and Dan will take off on it, and it'll be fantastic. Mate, I really do appreciate the opportunity, and uh, it's been great to be able to get back on and get behind the mic without offending too many people at once. So uh, <laughs> thank you for having me, and hopefully yeah, I didn't offend too many Dragons fans there with... My comments, unfortunately, I do think you guys are going to have a rough year, but uh, yeah, it's, that's that's the the love of the game that we have. So, um, you know, from, from a super coach perspective, yeah, maybe, maybe support a different team this season. <laughs> <laughs> we got some good young kids coming through at the Dragons, but thanks again as always, Tommy, and thanks for listening, everybody, and tuning in once again to the. 
pre-season uh, team previews. We'll be back again next week as normal, but make sure that you do follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Remember that we are partnered with Top Sport, so do jump on the Top Sport and start an account. If you are interested, just make sure you gamble responsibly and you also put in the promo code of SC All Stars to make sure that Top Sport takes care of you when all the NRL markets are up there for Supercoach. But at the end of the day, we will be on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes as always. Hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll chat to you again next week.